Hi, this is Christian Kuhn of Urban Village Church in Chicago. Welcome back to my sermon podcast as I record here on this very cold, blustery day here in Chicago. And I will not make any comments about this being the Windy City. Um, we're starting a new sermon series here at Urban Village uh, about money and what is money for. And so I'll talk about that in a moment. But as always, we start with a scripture. And so today I'm going to read from Matthew 25, and this will be a familiar passage for us the next three weeks, and I'll explain more about that in a moment too. But for now, this is known as what's called the parable of the talents. So it's a parable that Jesus told. So here are these words. For it is as if a man going on a journey summoned his slaves and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. The one who had received the five talents went off at once and traded with them and made five more talents. In the same way, the one who had the two talents made two more talents. But the one who had received the one talent went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. Then the one who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five more talents, saying, Master, you handed over to me five talents. See, I have made five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one with the two talents also came forward, saying, Master, you handed over to me two talents. See, I have made two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Then the one who had received the one talent also came forward, saying, Master, I knew that you were a harsh man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you did not scatter seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master replied, You wicked and lazy slave. You knew, did you, that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I did not scatter? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and on my return I would have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one with the ten talents. For to the, all those who have, more will be given, and they will have an abundance. For from, from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. As for this worthless slave, throw him into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. May God's blessing be on the reading and living out of this word. We are talking about money, as I noted earlier, and uh, earning money. And so that made me think of jobs I've had in my past. I can't remember if I've used this story before. I know it's in my book. So for those of you who read that, my apologies. But one summer, in between my freshman and sophomore years in college, I worked for an explosives company in the small town that I grew up in. Whenever I tell people that, I always look at the expression on their face, and I assure them it was a very, very safe job. But uh, still, it sounds dangerous, so I maybe I, I milk that for just a little bit. But uh, one of the th- tasks that I had, in addition to doing various things, is to unload boxes from shipments they would get in. And so we would get on uh, a truck and drive to a storage facility. We would unload a shipment that had come in. And there was a guy who worked there, a longtime employee named Pete. And for whatever reason, Pete, I don't think, liked me very much. I don't know what it was that I had done to him. But one of the things he didn't like about me was that I did not sweat enough. Uh, Pete was a big-time sweater. And so 
my hunch is even getting out of his car going to work already his shirt would be drenched and for whatever reason uh, I'd like to think I was still working hard but I was not sweating enough for Pete's liking and so whenever he would see me uh, no matter how hard I might be working if there was not enough uh, literal sweat equity he would give me a hard time about that so that job that summer uh, was not the greatest one in the world uh, at the very end of the summer in fact uh, the owner of the of the company came up and said that he was going to, he would have probably fired me if it was just a short term job it's a whole other story <laughs> but anyway uh, my memories of this job even though there were parts of that that um, weren't the best in the world, my memories aren't all that terrible. And you know why? Because the minimum wage in 1987 was $3.35 an hour, and I got paid a whopping $5 an hour. So I made pretty good money. So again, we're starting this new sermon series, What is Money For? And we're using two resources to frame our conversation. The first one is this passage from Matthew that I just read. I mentioned to, to get a little bit used to it, we're going to use the exact same passage for all three sermons. And we're going to be, I'm going to be anyway, looking at different characters in the passage and seeing what God might have to say to us. Second, we're going to also look at a writing or a sermon by the founder of the Methodist movement, John Wesley, a sermon that he wrote in 1789. At the age of 85, he wrote a sermon called The Use of Money. And in that sermon, he says this about money, that we should earn or gain all we can, that we should give all we can, and that we should save all we can. So we're also going to look at what Wesley meant in the midst of that. Today, we're focusing on this first part, earning or gaining all we can. We have an interesting relationship with our jobs, the things that we do for money. Why do we do what we do for for a living? There are those I've heard who have said something to the effect of, I can't believe they pay me to do this because they love their job so much. They are living into what is sometimes called vocation. The spiritual writer Frederick Buechner said that vocation is the place where our deep gladness meets the world's deep need. And if you can do that and get fairly paid for it, it's a wonderful thing. It sparks someone to say, I can't believe they pay me to do this. I don't know what percentage of people in this country are at that place. I'm guessing it's a minority. And then there are other folks. In fact, I just heard this comment on a podcast the other day who say something like, you know, I hated the job, but it was really good money. Maybe this is you. Or if you wouldn't say really good money, hopefully you can at least say it's decent money. And then there are those who really have to do anything almost anything, in order to have the basics of life, like food and shelter. You know, sometimes in society, people who mean well say that we should do what we love, but they may not realize that there are a lot of people who really just have to do just to live. So as people of faith, what should we think about our jobs and our paychecks? Does God care about this? Probably shouldn't surprise you to hear hear that I believe, yes, God does care about that. Now, let's take a look at those two resources I mentioned earlier, this passage from Matthew and this sermon by John Wesley. So first, let's take a look at Wesley. Wesley said that we should earn or gain all we can. What does he mean by this? The famous movie from the late 1980s, Wall Street, and the character Gordon Gecko, who said that greed is good, greed is right, greed works. Is this what John Wesley meant in the late 18th century? Not really. Uh, 
Instead, this sermon is a treatise about how we should go about finding work, and then once we do find it, what our perspective should be about work. So, for example, he advises us that we shouldn't go overboard so that we are causing ourselves a nervous breakdown by working too hard and literally burning the midnight oil. He also says that we shouldn't work in a field that hurts our faith. So, for example, I love this quote, why he couldn't work in the field of mathematics. Wesley said, so I am convinced from many experiments that I could not study to any degree of perfection, either mathematics, arithmetic, or algebra without being a deist, if not an atheist. So for those of you who don't like math, uh, here's your quote from John Wesley to get out of it. Wesley was big on what our attitude should be in general in life. And so that includes what we do in our jobs. And so this is what he says our attitude should be toward work. He says, And whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. This is a quote from Ecclesiastes. Wesley continues, Do it as soon as possible, no delay, no putting off from day to day or from hour to hour, and do it as well as possible. Put your whole strength to the work. Spare no pains. Let nothing be done by halves or in a slight and careless manner. So, in short, Wesley is saying, wherever you find yourself, give your best, give your all. So, when I first typed this, my first thought was, uh, you know, this sounds a little like something a motivational coach would say or, or a parent might tell us when we were growing up. So, it's not terrible, like, just do your best. Uh, sometimes that may ring a little hollow. But I think maybe what Wesley was getting at, I think he probably meant that, but maybe he was also getting at this. He was aligned with another person named Brother Lawrence. He wrote a book called The Practice of the Presence of God. He lived a century before Wesley did. Brother Lawrence says this, he was assigned, he was a monk who was assigned to kitchen duty all the time. So here is a quote, and here Brother Lawrence talks about himself in the third person. So Brother Lawrence says, in his business in the kitchen, to which he had naturally a great aversion, Having accustomed himself to do everything there for the love of God and with prayer upon all occasions, for his grace to do his work well, he found everything easy during the 15 years that he had been employed there. So, Brother Lawrence, even though he was in a job that he didn't like, he, was, he thought to himself, somehow, some way, I am giving glory to God by the potatoes that I peel or the various jobs that I do in the kitchen. So, I think this is what Wesley might be getting at. Wherever you are, whatever kind of job that you are doing, we have a choice about how we see things. Is God here in this space, even if it's a job that we don't love? And if we believe that God is in that space, then how do we respond? How can we work in a way that gives God glory and perhaps relating to people that we are in business with? Now, I'm not saying that if you are in a job where you are paying unfair wages or harassment, that you just stay there and take that. In fact, later on, I'm going to be sharing a little bit about that, another situation where they did not put up with that. But we all go through times, most of us anyway, in our jobs where uh, it's not feeding us very well. And so at times, certainly you may want to find something else that does that, but you may not be in a position to do so. And so we reflect Do I believe that God is still with me here in this space in the job that I do and the money that I'm earning? And if so, how do I respond to that? How can I still give God the glory, my glory, God's glory in the work that I do? 
So now let's take a look at another example from the passage of Matthew. So again, I noted earlier, there are three main characters we're going to be focusing on over the next three weeks. The person who received two talents, the landowner, and the person who received one talent. Today, I want to talk about the person who received two talents. So here we see in this story, this landowner who gives his servants what in the scripture anyway, we see is five talents, two talents, and one talent. Now, without any kind of commentary that may not seem like much, but talent is really a a form of money, a unit of money. And one talent was equal to 15 years' work. So we see here that this is a a lot of money that this landowner is entrusting with the people who work for him, a person with five talents and two talents and one talent. So I'm curious about the two-talent and the one-talent person. So I have no idea how the story goes or what the situation was like. But as many of you know, I like to use my imagination when looking at scripture and kind of discerning what might have been happening. So I can imagine perhaps the landowner goes first to the five talent person and says, I'm giving you uh, five talents, five talents, because I know that you are uh, worthy enough and you have the gift to be able to, to handle this much money. And then he does the same with two talents and one talent. Now, I put myself in the position of the two-talent person. What's going on through his mind? He sees the two-talent or the five-talent person getting five talents. And maybe in his own mind, he's like, holy cow, I'm going to be getting five. I'm just as good as this guy. I'm going to be getting five talents too. And then the landowner comes to me and says, I'm giving you two talents because I'm giving you what you can handle. Now, what might have been going through your mind at that time? If you are anything like me, there might have been an initial feeling of like, whoa, I think that I am just as good as Mr. Five Talent here. That is unfair. And or you might be thinking to yourself, wow, the landowner doesn't think very much of me. What am I going to do? How am I going to respond? He must not think very highly of me. So you could maybe go and feel sorry for yourself or kind of go about it, uh, the job that you were to do, um, giving only half of your energy. But instead, Mr. Two-Talent does something different. He asks himself, maybe he asks himself, how can I honor God by giving, by making the most of what's been given to me? Rather than sulking, Instead, he says, well, I've been given this, so now what can I do with this? You know, at Urban Village, um, we talk about at our church that we are self-sustaining financially, which I'm always uh, very proud of. It's a, it's a tight, tight budget every year, the vast majority of which are because of the generosity of folks in our church. And we're in a time of the year where we're asking people to support us financially. But at times, I'm a little bit jealous when I see other churches who have an endowment, So they have money that they can draw from. And I sometimes uh, think to myself, oh man, wouldn't it be great to have an endowment? But we don't. So instead of us just kind of pining away at what we don't have, we think, all right, well, what do we have? We have some people who are really gifted. So what can we do in order to enhance our revenues, enhance the money that we have? So in the last couple of years, we have tried to be creative. This year, we have had a church planting cohort where we uh, invite those who are planting from around the country to receive coaching and consulting from us in a group setting, and they've paid us uh, some money to do that. We'll make almost $18,000 because of that. 
you may not know, about three years ago, a, a part of the United Methodist Church, United Methodist Women, asked us if we would write a book about a sermon series that we did about anxiety. And that's what we're doing that. When it's all said and done, the book will be published in 2020, and we'll make $5,000 doing that. Last fall, about a year ago, we had an online silent auction, and people uh, brought forth things that they could do in, in order to uh, people could bid on them and to buy things like a pie or a gift that somebody has, something like that. So we are doing the same thing at Urban Village. Rather than pining away at what we don't have, we think, all right, well, what do we have? And we try to make the most of what was given. As I was working on the sermon this week, I remembered, or I thought I remembered, that there was a sermon that uh, Martin Luther King gave about being a street sweeper. And I did some online research, and in fact, I did. I found it. There's a sermon that he wrote, and in this sermon he said, If a man is called to be a street sweeper, he should sweep streets even as Michelangelo painted or Beethoven composed music or Shakespeare wrote poetry. He should sweep streets so well that all the hosts of heaven and earth will pause to say, Here lived a great street sweeper who did his job well. Now, what I didn't remember, I had thought that he gave this sermon uh, on the night before his assassination to a group of sanitation engineers and their supporters in Memphis, Tennessee. But I was wrong. Dr. King had actually given that speech about two years before that. But in the process of researching this, I discovered and read more about this strike. And it was pretty remarkable. I didn't really know a whole lot about it. So I found this article on NPR that ran last spring as they did an, a story about the 50-year anniversary of Dr. King's assassination. And the story started off talking about a, a man named Elmore Nickelberry. This is a man who worked in sanitation at that time. And to this day, he still works in his 80s. He's still working as a sanitation engineer in Memphis. He went on to describe, especially in the late 1960s, it was a filthy, thankless job. They would be toting these trash tubs that would leak. They would literally have maggots in their shoes. When they got back, blacks couldn't shower in the barn. Only That was only for white workers. There'd be no shelter in the rain. And then tomorrow, or in the sermon when I preach about this, and I'll put this in the Podbean page, I'm, I'll give you a link of the whole story on NPR. I'm going to play a little snippet of it tomorrow. And Mr. Nickelberry talks about how they would get no respect, that they would call the black sanitation engineers boys. They'd get on the bus and they'd say, look at that old garbage man. And Mr. Nickelberry said, I knew I wasn't no garbage man. I just worked in garbage. And then they cut to a pastor, James Lawson, who was supporting them at the time. Uh, Reverend Larson is a United Methodist pastor, still alive today at 89, living in, in Los Angeles. And he was helping to um, organize and be an advocate for the san sanitation engineers at the time. And Reverend Lawson is quoted in saying, when a public official orders a group of men to get back to work and then we'll talk, and treats them as though they are not men. That's a racist point of view, he said in 1968. For at the heart of racism is the idea that a man is 